So yes, we're beginning a new series tonight uh, that will carry us all the way through spring, and it's in the New Testament letter that is called Second Corinthians, um, which is a great letter. It's a very personal letter. Uh, I think you're really going to be uh, blessed and strengthened by this. And one of the themes that we'll come to uh, over and over again, one of the themes that sort of ties that whole letter together is this idea of finding strength, uh, finding our strength in God in the midst of weakness, in the midst of our own weakness. And uh, this emerges all the way through the letter, as I said. Uh, what, what the Apostle Paul writes is that for the Christian weakness, uh, far from being ultimately a sign of defeat or failure, uh, or disgrace, uh, that weakness is actually a mark of uh, authenticity. Uh, it is something that's essential to what it means for us to be servants of Christ. Um, and ultimately, in some sense, it's, it's, we could even say it's a badge of honor. Uh, as Paul says at the end of the letter, for when I am weak, then in Christ, then I am strong. And so we're going to jump in tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Paul uh, introduces himself. He uh, uh, greets the church of God that's at Corinth uh, with grace and peace, and then he launches in. And I'm going to read, yeah, there we go, the uh, uh, verses three uh, down through verse eleven. He says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort." who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our, own, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Oh, so this is God's word. And, uh, I, as, uh, if you go back to the first slide, um, verse, uh, this first verse is really kind of, um, verse 4, and particularly is it, kind of our outline for tonight. We're first going to talk about all of our affliction, and then the God who comforts us in all of our affliction, and then we're going to talk about so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. So all, all of our affliction, uh, first of all, I mean, Paul begins this letter by telling the, the, the believers at, at Corinth about what happened to him. He says when he was in Asia, and the, the difficulties and the troubles that he experienced there, undoubtedly he means that he experienced there 
as an apostle of Christ who's preaching uh, to others about Jesus and the good news in Christ. And he, he, he says that these difficulties were so intense, right, that uh, he says we were burdened, utterly burdened, uh, beyond our strength, so that even we, we despaired of life. We were not sure. It's like, you know, we said, I didn't know if I was going to get out of there alive. I mean, that's literally what, what he is saying. And, and we know from the book of Acts and, and even uh, from Paul's own writings, uh, in, even just later in, in this epistle, we know how much he suffered in uh, a, a very literal way, uh, the different kinds of afflictions. He, he describes later in this letter um, about his being imprisoned, about his being beaten countless times, often near death, about five times uh, receiving 40 lashes, uh, three times being beaten with rods, being stoned, being shipwrecked, uh, in all kinds of danger uh, and toil and hardship, and hunger, thirst, without food, uh, cold exposure, just an extraordinary account of suffering. And here he is, he's saying to them that uh, just recently prior to writing them, he has gone through such an intense time that he didn't think he was going to uh, live to tell about it. And so when Paul says all of our afflictions, um, he's, he's using that word, in, uh, that, that, that description in, in a really all-encompassing way. I mean, that word affliction is just any kind of experience that causes pain, that causes suffering. And uh, affliction in that sense is universal to human experience. Uh, none of us are exempt from affliction. And it comes right in all shapes and sizes. Probably, I would guess, none of you have been beaten with rods and 40 lashes, have been stoned and uh, imprisoned, perhaps, I don't know. but. Uh, you know, those most of us react to is like, wow, that's pretty intense. But affliction comes in all shapes and sizes, from uh, the the things that, that are common to all of us, sickness, disease, I mean, the, the coronavirus that's now spreading uh, the planet, uh, all kinds of accidents uh, that uh, we may fall into, uh, human conflict, and that kind of thing, more mundane things. You know, you, you get a splinter in your finger, you're, you're in your room uh, lonely and anxious about a paper or a problem set, uh, big and small. I mean, pain is everywhere. It's part of our experience. And so it's interesting that, that Paul says that, that God comforts us in all of our affliction. I mean, I'm reading right now this book by Timothy Keller, and I, I've, I'm, so far I'm really appreciating it. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And uh, I found his analysis of, of this to be really helpful uh, because he describes how many scholars uh, and thinkers have observed that, that in our time, in, the, in uh, the, the, our contemporary Western culture, he, he writes, is one of the weakest and one of the worst in history when it comes to coping with pain and suffering. And I think that's a really striking observation. What, what he does is he describes how throughout human history, 
uh, cultures have uh, turned to what sociologists would call religious answers, uh, have, have turned to narratives to equip themselves in the face of suffering and affliction. And of course, those answers vary widely all over the map. There's all kinds of, of narratives, all kinds of answers. Every religion might have a different one. Um, suffering might, for example, be, be viewed as punishment. You know, the reason your life is so crappy right now is because of what you did in a previous life. And if you don't get it right this time, it's going to be worse next time. You know, I mean, there may be that sort of a narrative or explanation. Um, or, or they might view suffering as some kind of a test by which we prove ourselves. Or maybe we deal with suffering by, by seeing it as an illusion. Um, or, or as, as an opportunity, but generally what all of these explanations have in common is, number one, they are not surprised by suffering. They recognize it as a universal part of human existence. And, and secondly, that all of these other narratives have a sense of, of a possible purpose or a possible meaning that suffering might have. Uh, and that then leads in those cultures uh, and religions to, to some sort of guidance for how a person ought to navigate their way in the midst of suffering. But over against this, the culture that we live in, contemporary Western culture, rejects the notion that there is any narrative, rejects the notion that suffering has any meaning at all. And, and so, you know, famously, Richard Dawkins has described the universe as pitiless and indifferent. And, and in, in this way of thinking, in, in contemporary thought, the meaning of life is found not in anything outside of ourselves, but the meaning of life is found in the pursuit of, of pleasure and in things like individual freedom, in happiness, in comfort, and so, in that worldview, suffering is of no use. There is, there is no good in it. In this worldview, now I'm quoting, the only thing to do with suffering is to avoid it at all costs. Or if it is unavoidable, manage, minimize the emotions of pain and discomfort as much as possible. And so much of what our culture is doing is just that we're trying to manage the pain. We're trying to minimize the pain. Uh, as Charles Taylor uh, writes, that in this secular, humanist, naturalistic frame, the highest goal is to prevent suffering. And so Keller, uh, he, he quotes a philosopher, some of you may know, named uh, John Gray, uh, and his book on, uh, called Thoughts on Humans and Other Animals. Uh, Gray's not a Christian, <laughs> but uh, here, here's what he writes. This, just think of this in line of what I've been saying. He, he writes this about drug use. He says, drug use is a tacit admission of a forbidden truth in Western culture. What is that truth? It is, quote, that for most people, happiness is beyond reach. In other words, we have pain, we have affliction, we have hardship, we have no answers for it, so we turn to things to manage the pain. 
Happiness is beyond reach. Human life is unavoidably hard and unhappy for the vast majority of people and always will be. In the secular worldview, all happiness and meaning must be found in this lifetime, in this world. To live with any hope, then, secular people must believe that we can eliminate the sources of our unhappiness for the majority of people. But that is impossible. The causes of suffering are infinitely complex and impossible to eliminate. So that's the kind of secular frame, and in a way, the secular dilemma when it comes to afflictions. Now, Christians, we're going to get to back into the text in just a second, but Christians are not entirely immune to this sort of contemporary way of thinking about suffering. And this happens, I think, if, if we, even as Christians, begin to shift away from a biblical understanding of God and, and who we are in relation to God, if we begin to shift away from that, uh, from, the, from the biblical teaching that, that we exist to love, to honor, and to obey God, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we shift away from that to the belief that God exists primarily for, for my benefit, for my happiness, uh, and that therefore if we suffer, somehow God is not doing his job properly, right? So then if we suffer, we begin to question whether God even exists. We, we, in other words, we have a weak uh, uh, view of, of God and of ourselves in the universe, and so we're often as Christians even not really well prepared for suffering. And, and I think that a lot of contemporary Christians, and I'm sure this includes some of us tonight, we, we have unknowingly embraced this, this more contemporary view of God that, you know, God exists for my benefit. He exists to, for my happiness. And, and that leaves us very ill-prepared uh, to cope with affliction. The Bible has a lot to say about suffering. Uh, it has a lot to say, and, and, and it may not answer every question that we have, but it gives us a framework for thinking about it that, that I believe is, in part because it is true, but, but, but it is more robust uh, than, than the other narratives, the other frameworks, or the, the total absence of any framework that's being offered elsewhere. This passage, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all of our affliction. I mean, what this passage is doing is, 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 is offering uh, for us, first of all, a challenge to this idea that suffering is meaningless, and it's also beginning to offer us a way into thinking about how can we respond in, in, a, in, in a good way to, to suffering. So let's move then to the second point that, that Paul says, in all of our affliction, there is a God of comfort who comforts, comforts us. So God in the Christian way of thinking, God offers comfort in the midst of affliction. Um, and before we go too far down this path, maybe we should ask, well, how, how, how does he do that? And he does not necessarily do that by uh, removing affliction from, it, from us. Uh, he does not necessarily do that by making 
the trouble that we're, we find ourselves in any easier. I mean, Paul says we we despaired even to the point we thought we were we were not going to get out of there alive. Uh, he does not necessarily comfort us in affliction by shortening its duration. In other words, if you if you are diagnosed with with cancer, God's comfort He's not necessarily going to say, "Oh, I'm going to heal you from that." He's He's not necessarily saying, "Oh, it's not going to be that painful," or you're not going to suffer for very long. God doesn't promise those things. Paul says He comforts us in all of our affliction. And and the word comfort itself uh, captures that idea because. That word means to stand beside. Notice to, to, to comfort another one is to come stand beside them in their suffering, to encourage them in the midst of it. It's not necessarily to, to take it away. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, who is, is the gift to believers, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will send you another helper. And what does he call him? He calls him the comforter. The one who, who comes alongside believers to be in them, to, to stand beside them, to give courage and strength and hope and help in the midst of affliction. And so if, if God is the God of all comfort, but, but the, the Bible does not tell us that he comforts us by removing us from affliction. How does he comfort us? It's like, well, okay, thanks, Bill. That's really helpful. Um, he comforts us, I'm going to suggest a couple of different ways. First of all, he comforts us by giving us over against a sense that this is meaningless. He gives us a sense in the midst of our suffering that this is not meaningless. It has a purpose. And so, just right here in the text, uh, skip to the next slide. Paul understood, um, uh, where did it go? Uh, it's in, uh, uh, he's, uh, verse uh, 9, 9, sorry, <laughs> right, up at the top. Uh, Paul sees that in his suffering, it was, it was not meaningless, it was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. So it's not without any, any sense of purpose. Suffering, in the biblical view, is not meaningless, but it has a, a purpose. It points us also, for example, uh, one of its purposes is it points us to what really matters, to what matters most. Um, one man's testimony was, he said, quote, I always knew in principle that Jesus is all you need. Right? I mean, that sounds really, really Christian, really pious. Jesus is all you need to get through. But then he says, but you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so in that man's experience, it was when he began to suffer that he really learned that Jesus was sufficient for him in the midst of that suffering. Uh, so scripture points us to all kinds of good things. It doesn't say that bad things are good. It, scripture never says that evil is good, but it does say that God can use even suffering toward, and he does, toward good purposes. He can use it, uh, Peter uses the image of, of a fire 
that a refiner would use to heat up metal, uh, to heat it so hot that it's liquid so that, that the refiner can, can remove the impurities and make out of that gold, for example, something that is pure and refined. And Peter says that's what God does with our faith. It's like he puts us in a fire to heat us. And when he does that, all sorts of bad stuff comes up that God wants to purge, to purify out of our lives, that our faith might be something pure. Uh, God uses afflictions to, to transform us, to renew us, uh, to cause us to grow. Uh, even, even as uh, it was, uh, Kurt Saxton was talking about weightlifting, and, and uh, somebody was correcting him on his chemistry. But, um, <laughs> but you know, a, a muscle isn't strengthened unless it is exercised. And God, God uses afflictions, trials, suffering, pain to strengthen uh, faith, to transform and renew us, to turn us toward him. You know, there, there are these cliches, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes, and, and uh, you know, in the storm, everyone cries out to God, and sometimes people are cynical about that. Uh, uh, there, there was a writings around the, the, the uh, Newtown uh, school shooting uh, that commented on how everyone was suddenly talking about praying and, and, and uh, turning to God and finding comfort in God. Some people are cynical about that. Oh, you're only doing that because... But maybe it's in the midst of great difficulty that we begin to look beyond the superficial and say, what, is there a God? Is there hope? Is there comfort that can help me through this? Because Jesus' sufferings had meaning and purpose. They were not meaningless. So can ours. God can work in and through whatever you're suffering for your good. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so the first thing that I'm saying is, is that God can comfort us by, by assuring us that this is not without purpose. This is not without meaning. But more specifically, as, as you know, we, we keep thinking about this, Notice that in the text it says that he comforts us uh, in Christ. So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. And how does God do that through Christ? I, I just think, think of the, the truths of the gospel that are at the core of what Christians believe. First of all, that, that the Son of God, that he became a human being, that he dwelt among us, in other words, that God is not a God who remains distant and uninvolved and aloof, particularly with regard to our suffering, but that God enters into our human experience. He enters into suffering with us. He dwelt among us. He came into the world on a, we could say, on a, on a mission of rescue. He's not distant from us in the midst of our pain. But secondly, not only does he enter into our suffering, but he patiently endured Suffering, not because he deserved to suffer, not, certainly not because he enjoyed it. He, he patiently endured it for us. For us. Uh, because of his great love for us. Jesus experienced a greater 
affliction, a greater suffering, a greater pain than any of us ever can or ever will. And one of the, the things, one of the reasons that, that can comfort us is that this means that we have a, a Savior who knows what it feels like to suffer. And whatever your pain, whatever your suffering, whatever your affliction, however uh, horrible it is, and you know, some of you have suffered in ways that you have probably never even told anyone else about. They, they are so uh, painful for you even to, to contemplate whatever your suffering is. Jesus, in a way that no one else can, Jesus can say, I know how you feel. I have suffered in every way, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, yet without sin, so that he, had, he can sympathize with us at the profoundest level in whatever we suffer. But then, moving further through the gospel, he triumphs over suffering. That Jesus is not simply uh, the super example of somebody who suffered a whole lot, uh, and therefore, you know, he's what an inspiring example. He suffered in such a way that his suffering accomplished what God sent him into the world. It accomplished our rescue, our deliverance. It, it paid the penalty for our sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus' suffering defeated the enemies that are arrayed against us, the greatest, the final, the last of all being death itself. His resurrection assures us that he has triumphed, that he is alive forevermore, and that because he's alive forevermore, we can be alive forevermore as well. So all of this comfort is bound up in, in this message of the gospel. And this message gives us hope. On him, Paul says, we have set our hope, verse 10, that he will deliver us. Christians can, can have comfort and hope no matter how awful the, the hardship that we're faced with because Jesus conquered sin. He conquered death. Because God raised him from the dead, we have hope that death itself is, is being reversed, that it will be reversed for us in our own experience. And so in chapter 4, Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. He says we're perplexed. We can't explain it all, but we're not driven to despair. He says we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. In all these things, he says, no matter what we're experiencing, we don't lose heart. Because what? Chapter 4, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so God gives us a strong hope in the midst of whatever it is that we are suffering. And, and because Jesus has suffered for us, Christians have, have an additional uh, ability to rejoice in suffering, and particularly to rejoice in suffering for the sake of Christ, 
The book of Acts describes how the, the first believers rejoiced after they were beaten in the same way Jesus had been beaten by the authorities. It says they were rejoiced that they would consider worthy to suffer in his name. And later Peter says, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And Paul here in this letter, but no, this is Peter as well. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory, there's the hope, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and, and establish you. So God gives us comfort in Christ and, and a strong hope that, that enables us to persevere and even give thanks in the midst of the hard things that we suffer. God also gives us community. Paul, in this letter, asks down in, in verse 11, you, you can help us by prayer. Uh, God gives us a community that... Uh, can suffer together that we can bear one another's burdens that we can encourage one another God gives us a community through which we can share stories of faith and perseverance in hardship we can share stories with one another of God's faithfulness and, and these are so some of the most powerful things I've ever read are stories of other Christians suffering and persevering in the midst of that. I mean, Debbie was sharing with me earlier, I mean, just imagine if our Bibles, if, if the book of Job was missing, uh, or of Jesus, you know, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, and, and uh, agonizing over what he was about to suffer on the cross, his rejection, his abuse. Imagine if Hebrews 11 and all those stories uh, not only the ones with happy endings, but, but, but the ones of people being sawn into. Imagine if all those stories were, were gone without these kinds of stories of other believers who have clung to the promises of God, who have proved Him to be faithful. Uh, we wouldn't have this, this, what Hebrews calls this cloud of witnesses that, that, that can encourage us uh, in, in the midst of of our suffering. We're comforted when others join us in our sorrow. The Bible teaches that we're members of a body, of a community, and that if one part suffers, the whole body suffers. There's a sense in which the, the, the community of faith is not only connected to God and the comfort He offers, but we are connected to one another, and that can become the source of profound comfort to us in the midst of all of our afflictions. Which is leads us to the final point. God comforts us, we go back to the first slide, so that we can comfort others. The comfort that I hope you guys have all received from Christ, that's not intended to, to be something, uh, one analogy is to be like a, a a bucket that you just fill up with all the comfort that I get from think of it more as a, as a conduit that, that the comfort that you have received becomes something that you can share with others and this adds to the sense that your sufferings are not meaningless I mean have you have you ever considered 
when you're wallowing in whatever misery you're wallowing in, have, have you ever considered that your suffering might be the very thing that God wants to use in your life to bring help to other people? That, that in all of your experiences of pain and adversity, God is actually equipping you, He's tra training you, He's preparing you so that you can be a comforter you can be someone who comes alongside someone else who is suffering, who stands beside them in the midst of their misery and their pain and brings them encouragement. I, I found this quote from an old Scottish minister. It's a little, it's not quite the way we talk, so try to follow it. He says, of the many solutions given in scripture of the mystery of pain, this is not the least notable. <laughs> of the many solutions given in scripture of the mystery of pain this is not the least notable the sufferer who feels that his sufferings equip him as a missionary of comfort to others will feel that they are well explained in other words, you're, you're coping with your suffering and, and you, you begin to realize that one of the answers to what I am suffering is that God is equipping me to become a missionary of comfort to other people. And so in, in a profound sense, whatever suffering you have experienced is helping you to grow as a person who can comfort others. And God wants that of you. God blesses you, not so you can hoard it. He blesses you so that you can bless other people. God loves you so that you can love other people. God offers you comfort in Christ. How can you receive that comfort in Christ and not use that comfort that you have received to comfort others? The gospel offers us the ultimate comfort. And so whatever, I don't know your individual stories and experiences. How have you suffered? How are you suffering? How will you suffer? I don't know. But God can use those experiences to shape you as you find comfort in Christ to become one who brings that comfort to others who are suffering. And my hope and my prayer for for all of us tonight, is that we have experienced that comfort that is in Christ. That, that we have experienced this reality that, that God so loved us, even when we were his enemies, even when we were uh, uh, opposed to him, that Christ died for us. I, I hope we've experienced this, this hope that because Jesus rose from the dead, Death is no longer the greatest enemy to be avoided at all costs. I, I hope we all experience this, this comfort that Jesus promised, that I will never leave you or forsake you. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. This is the comfort that is in Christ. The comfort with which God comforts us now become a comforter to others. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. I pray that you will just begin to stir our thoughts in a fresh way with the good news that we received in Christ. Stir us in a fresh way as we think about the hardships that we face.
how do we respond to them? Do we see them as great enemies to be avoided, to be distracted from, to medicate ourselves from, to dull the pain? Or do we see these as ways that you are at work in us for our good and for your glory? Do we see these as inevitable in a fallen and rebellious world, but also in a world in which you are making all things new and you are calling us to be your servants who, having received comfort and hope, that we are those who are eager to share that comfort and hope with others. Help us, Lord, to do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.